The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. And me, Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast, we are officially exactly one week away from opening day 2023 for Major League Baseball. Uh, I will be in attendance at Cubs Brewers at Wrigley Field, presumably Marcus Stroman versus Corbin Burns, but you know we'll get to that. Uh in the middle of next week when opening day starters are announced we can kind of project lineups that we see moving forward and then adam you and i walking again arm in arm uh across wrigleyville on saturday april 1st with the rest of our gsb and colleagues except for new mac new mac we're gonna miss you you're a valuable member of the team and we lo- love you all so much uh wow. first of all adam how you that doing was, that was a reverse of and also new mac so congratulations well done i hope he hears that um, so you can get the credit that you've you tried to earn there. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to seeing not just the Brewers back playing baseball, but to actually see them in, in person. So very excited to be uh, catching three Brewers games in the flesh in the next three weeks. So that's that's going to be fun. You've got even more than that. So it's going to be a an added an added element to our our podcast, which we didn't get to have in our first season of Talking About the Team. 
yeah, uh, like I said, could be the beginning of the end for GSPN if we all get uh, together inside a baseball stadium, a restaurant, a bar, whatever it may be, and we all hate each other. Who knows? Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, you and I will get to do a podcast or two in person. That should be uh, an interesting dynamic as well. Excited about that. Uh, we've come to you uh, leaving ourselves uh, very little work to do because this episode is our Brewers opening day roster prediction. Uh, but we've gotten to the point where there are really only a few battles left um, for spots on the roster. Uh, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. But um, before we do that, I think I should talk a little bit about the end of the World Baseball Classic. It's something that uh, I'd been hyping up all offseason. And I got to say, Adam, it exceeded every expectation I had for it. There are so many moments throughout this tournament that I'm going to remember in years going forward as we lead up to the next World Baseball Classic, which I think will be in 2026. And then I assume they'll get on a four-year cycle. COVID kind of threw a wrench into everything with that. Uh, a six-year gap between 2017 and 2023. Now a three-year gap between 2023 and 2026. So not exactly on the uh, typical uh, World Cup timeline. I think uh, the Euros are having a, a similar uh, kind of thing happen with how their tournament had to be delayed. Nevertheless, uh, it was just, Adam, you know, NBA fans, NFL fans, uh, Premier League fans, I think mainly American Twitter Twitter audiences will also joke, often joke about script writers uh, dictating the outcomes of these events. Uh, and you don't really hear that with baseball, but for the first time in my life, uh, a baseball outcome or I guess matchup was exactly what Rob Manfred would have drawn up if he could have drawn up how this thing would end. Japan wins 3-2. And what do we get in the final? We get Shohei Otani pitching to Mike Trout in a one-run baseball game. Uh, just incredible. And Otani throws Trout a 3-2 slider to strike him out to win the game. Otani is the talk of this tournament, despite all the amazing moments. Some of those moments include Luis Arias hitting a three-run homer off of Roki Sazaki, who just looks incredible. And uh, Adam, I know you, you only got to see uh, clips on Twitter here and there and, and couldn't really watch full games. But from from seeing just the chatter and um, some of the, the pitching ninja tweets and things like that, is there one player or one thing that kind of stuck out on your end, even though you got very limited coverage of it? Well, I, I was getting all my World Baseball Classic from the same place. And that place was Keith Olbermann's Twitter account. Uh, that's that's <laughs> where that's where I locked in. I was like, this seems to be the place to find out what's going on at the World Baseball Classic. Uh, no, I saw one inning in total live, which was Devin Williams getting a hold in the quarterfinal, I want to say. That sounds right against uh, Venezuela. Yes, it was. It was against Venezuela. I was trying to think what team it was against. Um, that is all I saw live. I tried to check out some of USA Mexico. It was not available to me. I tried to catch the end of USA Japan. It was not available to me. Just fantastic. Great stuff all around, everyone, once again. Seemed like everyone was having a lot of fun, though. Um, it seemed like these games were tremendously entertaining. The players can't really sing the praises of the event and what it means to be a part of it enough. 
yes, there were a couple of pretty serious and disappointing injuries. Welcome to sports. Uh, yes. <laughs> like, as, as everyone noted, they could just as easily have happened in spring training. They could happen on opening day, and they probably will. Like, this is this is sports. This is what happens. Do we like injuries at any time? No. But it does matter for guys to go and represent their country. And when you see the buy-in and the investment and the way it's growing, there's real potential for this event to kick on and kick on and kick on. I know it's something you've been excited about for quite some time, but even at going into the tournament, we were talking about, well, where is where is interest at? Where is engagement at? And we were talking about that even in a, a US audience perspective. It feels like major growth has probably been made there. And by the time this comes around next, there'll be even more interest, mostly because of the buy-in from the players. Um, but then I, I even think like best outcome for the tournament is Japan winning. Because it's the one where, yeah, you've got Shoei, you've got like, okay, here's your marquee MLB star, really the best player on the planet. But you've got a whole host of other guys who Major League Baseball fans are not necessarily familiar with. And like just with the pitching in particular, various pitchers that I saw clips of, and you're just like, my God. Like that's that's exciting and really it's not a secret that uh, Japan is and has long been a hotbed for baseball talent. But getting to see Japan go toe-to-toe with the U.S., and get that kind of outcome. I think that's really, really good for baseball. And that it honestly kind of gives some of the thing, again, to make the cross-sports comparisons like you're making ahead of it, some of the issues. And, like, international basketball has become pretty popular, and there has been good buy-in from the U.S. team, but one of the problems has been, where's the competition? Um, Even the best kind of teams that pop up, if it's Spain, if it's Serbia, Argentina, whoever it might be, more often than not, the U.S. is going to have the edge. I mean, there's no doubting the level of talent, at least in terms of position players, on the American roster for the World Baseball Classic. Uh, but that's just not enough. It's not enough. You could lose to a whole number of teams, and it seemed like they could have. They were in plenty of close games throughout the competition. That's exciting. That's interesting. And I, I think it as the tournament progressed... And I guess particularly with the, the Dominican Republic not having the kind of World Baseball Classic we expected, it did start to seem like, okay, well, this is this is legitimately open. Um, and single elimination helps that too. So I've enjoyed everything that I've soaked in around it. I just wish I was able to watch it because it sounds like it was really fantastic. It was, and I agree completely about an outcome with <clears throat> Japan winning or if it had been Venezuela or the Dominican Republic had they had a better result than than they did i think that's the best case um scenario for baseball in general obviously um uh the u.s won six years ago but uh the u.s needs a reminder uh, every now and again that there are other baseball uh superpowers around the world and it's it's not just their game i think um Mike Trout's already said he's coming back in three years to play in 2026. He finally got a taste of what it's like to play essentially playoff baseball 
uh, and now he has to go back to the Angels with Shohei Otani. So that's going to be a fun clubhouse dynamic, I can imagine. Uh, I loved watching uh, Japan so much. I mean, just so many guys that I'd only had a passing familiarity with, and now just I wish I could still watch play. I I, I Googled where I can watch uh, the uh, MPB in, in America, and, and I, I, I was unsuccessful. So if anyone knows, you know, uh, hit me up in the Discord. But uh, seeing guys who will, will be in MLB at some point in their career, even if it's not in the immediate future, like we said, uh, Roki Sazaka probably not coming until uh, 2026, if I remember reading that correctly. But guys uh, such as uh, Yamamoto, who was uh, followed Suzaki um, in the semifinal game against Mexico, I think he can be posted next year. Um, and then you've got third baseman, Munataka Murakami, uh, who hit uh, the walk-off double against Mexico and then hit a homer to tie it against the U.S. He's just an incredibly exciting player. And then you've got guys who probably will never make it over here and will be lifelong players um, in Japan, like uh, Suzuki or Suzuki uh, Genda, who was the shortstop playing with, I believe, a broken pinky on his throwing hand and just had it wrapped up completely uh, coming to the plate. Like, what a, what a performance that was to just you know, not even uh, let it affect him. Uh, uh, Kinsuke Kondo, the outfielder who had a great tournament. Uh, Masataka Yoshida, who will be playing uh, for the Boston Red Sox this year, who scouts thought he got overpaid um, with his deal in Boston, and all he did was hit and get on base in the World Baseball Classic. So we'll see if that translates to MLB success. And then Lars Newtbar, the Cardinal, uh, introducing the pepper grinder uh, celebration. Uh, to his teammates, which was, uh, even though he's a Cardinal, fun to see. Uh, like I said, other moments that, that really stood out to me uh, were, was uh, the Luis Arias three-run homer to off Suzaki to give Mexico a 3 nothing lead in that semifinal against Japan. It would not last. Um, Rowdy Telez had reached on a, a single against the shift pre, uh, two at-bats prior to that, so it scored two. Uh, rowdy with his homer and just the emotion and excitement that we had as he's running down the first base was great to see even though that lead would not last and then trey turner just turning into babe ruth for <laughs> a few games uh the grand slam against venezuela which was essentially the game winning homer there uh two home runs against cuba and then a home run against japan so uh philadelphia philly fans will will be excited to watch him roam shortstop uh and you know what? That ballpark is basically a wiffle ballpark. So maybe Trey Turner's power is here to stay. But yeah, great tournament. Lived up to every expectation I, I could have had for it. And the last thing to say before we move on, uh, Shohei Otani did win the MVP. Here's how he did it. He hit 435, 606, 739, and seven games. On the mound, two starts, one relief appearance. What? One eight six ERA, 11 strikeouts, just five hits allowed, and nine and two-thirds innings collects two wins and a save just absolutely bonkers insane uh er every word you want to say about his performance he he lived up to the hype and uh is clearly if you're asking who's the best player in baseball right now it's got to be otani just because of what he can do at two different positions it's like having an elite hitter and elite pitcher in one player uh that's not a you know a novel take from me but uh, yeah, there we have it. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. World Baseball Classic was great, but now we move on to the 2023 MLB season and spring training. It is coming to an end. Um, so, you know, in a week, like I said, we will be at Wrigley Field watching Cubs Brewers. And before that happens, we have to decide on a roster, not us, because, you know, they don't they don't survey us and ask us what uh, we think the roster should be. Matt Arnold and Craig Council are going to come to that decision. But it is time to make our opening day roster predictions. And there are some places on this roster, Adam, where, there will be no debate, so I'm just going to go through them now, and I'll, I'll check with you before you know before we make any final decisions. But I'm going to start uh, behind the plate, catcher Adam William Contreras, Victor Caratini. Any objections there? No, we're in agreement with that. Uh, shortstop, it's going to be Willie Adamas. I I think that would be correct, Andrew. Second base, Luis Arias. Third base, Brian Anderson and Mike Brasso. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, there's another player I would have there, but I'm assuming you're going to have him in a different spot. He could be a number of places, but yeah. Absolutely. Uh, two of our three outfielders and a DH. Christian Yelich, Garrett Mitchell, Jesse Winker. What happened to first base? Is Rowdy not on the team? He is. I'm, I'm getting to you're that. You're working your way. Okay, you're working your way around. Uh, uh, he, so go, through, go through who you just said there again. So the nailed-on outfielders where there's no debate, Christian Yelich, okay. Garrett Mitchell, and then Jesse Winker, outfielder slash DH. Yeah, no no complaints on that. And then at, at first base, we've got Rowdy Pelez. And uh, that'll bring... Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, is that... I know we're going to have a debate for podcasting purposes, but do we think there is a debate on who the second first baseman is going to be? Uh, I think there's a theoretical debate, but not necessarily uh a real debate. But that is bringing us to our four first like head to head roster competition discussion. Uh, obviously Mike Brasso can play a little first base in a pinch, so he'll be factored in there. But the way I see it, the backup DH slash first base position is coming down to two players. Uh, Luke Voigt and Casting Hero. The last time we podcasted, uh, Luke Voigt was coming up against the opt-out date uh, in his minor league contract that he signed uh, right before spring training. He has since pushed that back to, I believe, this Friday. So He's coming up on it again. <laughs> yeah, 24 hours 
from now. So basically, we just live in a time loop where we're talking about uh, Luke Voigt's opt-out date. Um, I'll, I'll turn it over to you first, Adam. Who do you think ends up winning that job, and who do you think should win that job? It has to be Luke Voigt. This is not a this is not a contest. Um, it just has to be. Uh, we don't need to fully kind of dive in on this conversation because we did it a week ago, and really nothing has changed. But the time has come. I'm assuming any holdup is can the Brewers get anything for Keston? And I imagine some phone calls are being made. Also, you haven't got a whole lot of leverage at this point because <laughs> any team who likes Keston would probably be like, no, we won't. We won't give you anything for him and know that, well, he may well be up for grabs very, very soon. I just, I don't see the contest at this point. Um, nothing that we've seen in spring suggests that it really is a debate. And honestly, beyond that, and it's something we talked about throughout the latter parts of last season, definitely. The time has come. The time has come to move on. The time has come for a fresh start for both sides. Um, it didn't work out. He couldn't emerge as the, the star that I think at one point everyone was very hopeful he could be. We know what he can do. We know what he can do at any given moment. Uh, the problem is the plate appearance, an inning, a baseball game, all made up of multiple moments. And he does not do a particularly great job of stringing those together in a way that's going to give you real confidence in just playing winning baseball. I think Craig Council has said it himself, and I, I don't think there's any way anyone could argue otherwise. Luke Voigt has done absolutely everything that the Brewers could have asked of him to do in spring training. And then it's up against, okay, well, what's what's Kesson giving us? What do we know about him? Where are we at on that generally? I I think if Kesson here is on the roster, it's a, it's a mistake and it's one that they could end up regretting in a pretty significant way. Because look, there, there's a world where, where I don't just think like where Luke Voigt, oh, you should make the roster. I think there's a world where he could have a really good season and be a high-impact player in a way that maybe in some of these position battles we're going to work through, not all of the candidates are offering that. Like, if if things pop for Luke Voigt, we could see some really strong offense out of that. And I think as someone to spell Rowdy, particularly in that position, because that's kind of what was asked of Rowdy last year, and maybe by the end of the season just asked too much of him, that would be very useful too. Um, yeah, I, I just don't think it's a debate. Yeah, I agree completely. And I think the thing that I, I don't know if I've said it quite this way when talking about Luke Voigt, but if Rowdy or Winker get hurt, he's the guy that you can plug in there and say, okay, he has to start every day now and feel much more comfortable about doing that than if it was mm -hmm. with Keston Hira. And it's a 162-game baseball season. We've seen what happens when guys go down and you don't have adequate replacements. Luis Arias missed a lot of time last year. Uh, Willie Adamas had that stretch where he misses time. If Rowdy Telez uh, goes down and you're starting Keston Hira every day at, at first base, that's, that's not a good outcome uh, for the Brewers in their quest to get another bite at the apple this October and get back into the postseason after last season's disappointment. Um, one thing, yeah, Luke Voigt's done everything that has been asked of him. He's had a really solid spring. I think his OPS is 
uh, in the mid 800s. Uh, I shuffled to the second page of this uh, MLB uh, spring training stat. So I'm looking at Keston right now. I wish they uh, gave me plate appearances and not at bats, but nevertheless, uh, Keston Kira hitting 156, 229, 219 for a 448 OPS in spring. Spring training noise, stats, caveats, all that applies. But the big thing for me is he's got 15 strikeouts and just three walks and 32 at bats. I mean, it's new, new Keston, same as the old Keston is kind of uh, how it's shaking out here. And we've been saying it all offseason, a change of scenery. Would be best for all parties. Um, the Brewers obviously do need to add Luke Voigt to the 40-man. Uh, there are multiple ways they could do that. It would be um, one of which would be Keston's out, out of the organization. But the more likely option is obviously at some point Justin Wilson is going to have to go on the 60-day IL. I don't think that move's been done on paper just yet. Aaron Ashby, uh, Adam McCabe writes, is possibly a candidate i don't think he's reporting anything here it was just speculation in his opening day roster projection but with mid-may as a target return date for ashby i think they would delay that uh move as long as possible if they think there's a prayer that ashby's back um sooner rather than later into the season but those are a couple ways it does seem like i mean some of the rumblings last week are is that he is a little bit ahead of schedule and he's starting to make some progress so that is probably one that they, they don't look to do yeah, exactly, which is great news, obviously, um, for the Brewers because Ashby uh, probably won't be asked to to start right away unless something is going terribly, terribly wrong with uh, someone in the rotation. But, yeah, so I would expect uh, Luke Voigt to be added to the 40-man before the next opt-out arbitrary date they put on the calendar uh, comes to pass, and we'll look to see him on the opening day roster, as we said there. Uh, that'll bring us to another kind of spot of debate on the roster, and that's someone on the bench that can provide positional versatility by playing multiple spots. And the way I see it and the conversation we've had in the Discord and on this podcast before is that at least to start the season, it's going to come down to Owen Miller and Abraham Toro. Um, Owen Miller has been with the Brewers all spring and has been playing a variety of positions and has been playing uh, a new one, center field, as we discussed last week. He's hit 333, 371, 455 in 33 at-bats, four doubles, um, two walks and only four strikeouts. Um, Can play second as well, can play first base. And then Abraham Toro, who spent... uh, Part of his spring training, obviously playing for Team Canada in the World Baseball Classic, got 15 at bats for Canada, who did not advance um, past pool play. He hit 333, 412 OBP, 400 slug, and um, 15 at bats for Canada. Played third base for Canada, but obviously can play second base as well. So it's it would seem that uh, it's going to come down to Owen Miller and Abraham Toro um, again. Uh, you know, the dutiful host that I am, Adam, I'll turn this over to you. Who do you think gets that utility spot on the roster? Owen Miller gets the spot. Uh, I think the the opportunity, as we've talked about in previous episodes, to actually showcase um, that extra layer of positional versatility, which the Brewers require at the moment, um, will be a factor here. Maybe Toro could have done that. He wasn't there to do it. And Owen Miller has put together a very nice spring training. 
uh, a lot of plate appearances, OPS above 800, and he's shown the ability to do things that maybe they weren't even thinking of when they picked him up and that they have a greater need for right now. So I think, look, that, I think that one's pretty tough on Toro. We may see him at some point throughout the season. I think he'll be in a good position to to step up and make an impact whenever any kind of uh, infield opportunity knocks. But I, I do think the outfield experiment and just the consistent performance and significant reps and being around everyone in the organization for all spring training will give Owen Miller the edge there. And at this point, it's hard to kind of knock that at all. I, I feel quite good with that. I think this is one we may mention in a previous episode. It's kind of a, yeah, a call has to be made, but this is a pretty good spot where both guys seem very solid. I just think Miller has emerged with something of an edge. Uh, bad for podcasting. Um, good for uh, friendship and just overall good vibes, Adam, but I'm in agreement <laughs> with you that uh, Owen Miller uh, has the edge due to him showing that I guess he can play center field. Um, I've liked what I've seen from both guys. Um, two guys that, uh, again, I said, like, I probably glossed over their skill sets and what they bring to the table in discussing them in the offseason, just looking at some of the, you know, up and down performances they've had in their career. Um, I agree that Toro is somebody that will factor into this roster at some point or another. Uh, people could go down with injury and he could, I think, showcase that he can start reliably. Um, but with that flexibility and being able to play outfield, I think Owen Miller is is going to get the nod there. But if, we, if we're seeing Toro by May to spell someone who's having a brief IL stint, would not shock me one bit. Um, I guess uh, we'll just throw him in here as well because uh, it's it's funny that we, we just didn't even factor it into the conversation, even though he's a guy that you and I would like to see on this roster. Uh, Bryce Terang, um, probably not going to start the season in this role, playing a lot of shortstop uh, in spring training. He's been playing some second base since Willie Adamas returned from the World Baseball Classic. Uh, 34 bats in the spring for Terang, hit 294, 368, um, 412 slugs. Um, so um, doing... Bryce Terang things kind of the the kind of stat line that you would expect from him based on his performance to date at Nashville, um, making good contact, uh, displaying good patience at the plate. Um, he's also got, uh, I think, uh, uh, four walks and just eight strikeouts um, in the spring as well. Uh, three stolen bases, but probably not going to factor into this oh, yeah. opening day roster. He's not. And the reason he's not is because they have two solid options to choose from from that spot, um, which will enable them to just, you know, carry on with timeline manipulation and, you know, uh save it saving every cent until until they they can't save those cents anymore, Andrew. And uh, I think in this case, I don't even think that's unreasonable. Like would I like to see Bryce Tarang? Sure, but I, I think you've got good options there and you can continue to Get a little bit more seasoning on him, maybe, in, in Nashville this season. And, yeah, as we've talked about, I guess if he was to come up this year, we might see might see more of him at second, or he's the, he's the shortstop of the future. 
that's it's as simple as that. At this point, we're reaching um, with no extensions done. I mean, no extensions for anyone worth noting. Um, I think the plan for Bryce Terang is pretty clear. Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. Shortstop of the future. We're going to go to Nashville, play every day there once again. Um, we'll we'll see if they, at least for this season, still stick with some of the experimenting they did with him in Nashville. He's a guy that can also play center field um, based on what they've done in the past. But for now, expect to see Bryce Terang in Nashville. And if they play the Durham Bulls, I'll, I'll be there rooting for our guy, Bryce. Uh, the final spot in... Uh, for hitters and, and fielders here, Adam comes down to, to what to do about right field. Um, like we said, Christian Yelich expected to be starter and left from day one, Garrett Mitchell, who has returned from uh, his hamstring issues and is playing regularly again, will be in center field. Uh, first of all, tangent, um, the, uh, the freshman, the, uh, the documentary uh, series that the, the brewers are producing. First of all, very great well done uh so the the media team there with the brewers doing a tremendous job uh garrett great Mitchell's a dog. propaganda great a propaganda that's so i gotta say i'm eating it up i love it i haven't got to the second one yet but this is exactly the kind of propaganda you put out when you know you want to you want to get the fan base on board with the lack of spending and with the maybe the lack of extensions and some of the other roster decisions and it is absolutely perfect for that. It will get everyone excited about the young guys, which they should be anyway. But yeah, it's very, very good. And I, I actually hope the Brewers continue to do more stuff like this. Yeah, throughout the season, even with just like, it doesn't have to be those guys, even though mm-hmm. right now, obviously, uh, for the reasons well, you said. Even uh, if it's those those guys throughout the season will be really interesting. Like... I think you have a chance to do something really, really good if you commit to that. And it's not that difficult. You got a group of them. So you just have some people based in Nashville who are going to lock in on that and then have some people in Milwaukee that have call-ups come. You can you can have that part of it. But I, I would like to see more of it. I'm also very aware and kind of cynical about what it is, but I'm enjoying it very much and I will eat up all content like that. And... If you're gonna do this, at least at least let's get into selling it and really hype up these guys. Uh star of episode two though is Garrett Mitchell's dog. Uh not any of the players. So you're in for a treat, Adam, when you when you see that guy just having zoomies around the backyard. So I'm I'm glad that's in your future. Um yeah, so Mitchell starting in center, uh Jesse Winker at DH. And that brings us to right field. What to do about right field. Three guys for one spot, the way I see it at this point, based on here, here who's still at camp. Uh, Tyler Naquin, who was signed to a, a minor league deal uh, just before spring training, along with Luke Voigt. Um, Luke Voigt's not factoring into right field, but the, the timing happened around the same time. Um, and then Sal Freelich and Joey Weimer. Those would seem to be the options. Uh, this will be my chance to be cynical, uh, but before that, Adam, I will turn things over to you. What do you think is going to happen with right field and that final? Uh, no, I, final I think you spot? should go first. I think you should go first in this case. <clears throat> I think the, the Brewers are going to do what we would expect for them, and if anyone uh, has options, and if they're, uh, as we'll call it again, uh, based on my time travel uh, phrasing, uh, timeline man- manipulation of some of their prospects. I think uh, that they're going to go with uh, 
the quote-unquote safe option, and Tyler Naquin will be your opening day right fielder. Uh, and then in a few months' time, we'll see one or both of Southfield and Joey Weimer. But for now, I think it's Naquin, uh, who has not had a good spring. Uh, 154, 258, 231, uh, 10 strikeouts in his 26 at bats. Uh, I don't know why my voice cracked there. It's early for me. I think it was, I think it was just, you know, taking Tyron Aiken and having to read that out because sure, it's just spring training. This is a guy with lots of big league experience under as well, but that is really terrible. Really terrible. Not what you want. Particularly Mm-mm. with this team. It's not what you want. Um, so that's not great. Uh, that's just the cynic in me predicting out what they would do. What I would do is give the job to Sal Freelick day one. I think his contact skills and just his plate approach would bring something to this lineup that they desperately, desperately need. It would make them very, very left-handed heavy in the outfield. And so for that reason... Um, I I think it's it's not going to happen. Um, I think we'll see Freelick this year. I think we'll see Weimer from time to time this year. But for now, I will cynically say they're going to hand the job to the veteran. I'm not saying this with great confidence. I could certainly very clearly see the path to the opposite happening. I'm going to go with Joey Weimer. I'm going to go with Joey Weimer for one the lefty heavy element that you've just outlined because I do think that's going to work against Sal Freelick. It would probably be my pick. Um, I just, I'm always curious and I'm almost certainly reading way too much into the tea leaves here. Um, But Craig Council kind of had a lot to say on Joey, Joey Weimer's chances of making the opening day roster earlier this week. And Craig Council is very good like most coaches and managers are, but he may be in like the upper echelon of saying absolutely nothing and just batting away questions. And the Brewers as an organization doesn't feel like they say really much of anything. Um, But he did. He talked kind of pretty notably about Joey Weimer and the fact that he is playing as often as he is still at this point in spring training being because he does have a real chance and given the current situation in the outfield that they are really looking at it and that they're very impressed by him. I it, like it really would take a lot for Tyler Naquin to lose this spot. I think from the moment he was signed in the situation, but honestly, his play might lose in this spot. So, I fully see the path to what you're talking about. Um, in everything bar your timeline manipulation, which we know is a concern here. This is kind of a perfect opportunity though, because this is something of a temporary fix anyway, until Tyrone Taylor comes back that you could say, okay, well let's see what Joey or Sal has here. Let's have a look. They'll have a month. And if we feel like, you know, a lot more seasoning is needed. Well, there'll be plenty of time for that. Um, I do think there are lots of other organizations at this point. They might just take that approach because if these guys are really good, then they'll be paying them at whatever point and they won't have to worry about any of the rest of that. The Brewers being the Brewers gives me reservations, but I just... Tyron Aikman has been so, so bad. And at a certain point, I even from the PR perspective, when you have your, your docuseries going, 
I just think all of it gets tougher. It gets tougher for all of them to say with a straight face and even within, like, on the staff. And I'm sure, I'm sure I know who council wants at this point. And maybe that's maybe like that is what I should be reading into, which is council is actually pressing some buttons he doesn't usually press. Um, which is yeah, please give me just some of the better players as opposed to being like, no, no, we need to manage these situations. But I'm I'm going to go Weimer, not with great confidence. I understand why you've taken the cynical approach, but I just think Tyron Aikman has done everything really he can do to lose this spot with just how terrible he's been. Uh, I think it would be incredibly exciting if Joey Weimer was on this opening day roster. The throwing arm in right field, the power, I think, like you said, from a fit perspective, giving them a right-handed option in right field to balance out the left-handed heavy lineup at the moment uh, really makes so much sense. Um, one reason for optimism on Weimer's uh, continued development, strikeouts have always been the concern, um, I think, as he's been a prospect. He had a 30.2% K rate in AA uh, last season, got to Nashville, and now grain of salt's only 174 play appearances, lowered that K rate to 19.5%. If that's real and he can keep showing that progression um, in either Nashville or taking a step up to the big leagues, like Kurt Hogue's been ringing the bell all offseason, we've got potential perennial all-star Joey Weimer if he reaches his ceiling as a player. And it'd be really cool to see him right away. Like you said, we've got this just very well-produced doc series about uh, these guys who are the future of Brewers baseball. Getting at least one of them, uh, other than Garrett Mitchell, on the opening day roster would be, like you said, very beneficial from a PR perspective and getting fans excited about Brewers baseball in 2023. But it's also like Garrett Mitchell is, it's worth mentioning because Garrett Mitchell got the call up last year, did well after being called up. We had questions and we'll continue to have early in the season of just how real that is, how good is he? He's looked good in spring training too, so the signs are positive. But in the Brewers' ideal world, he doesn't get called up then, and they're they're playing a longer game on that too. But the scenario forced their hand. It was desperate times, desperate measures. This is not the part of the roster with the greatest depth. They looked at the options, and it was like, okay, sure, let's let's give the kid a chance. Honestly, this is a similar situation, which makes me think that it could happen. Um, this is not the textbook drawn up. Everything's working. Like I think if if Naquin was just perfectly solid like replacement level in spring training it's probably not a conversation because it's just a holdover for tyron taylor anyway um but this could be the kind of situation like garrett mitchell where they're just you know what our hand is being forced here we don't have a better option from a baseball sense so let's do it let's see how it goes and uh, mitchell's success as well should factor into them not being overly fearful of that if there's a feeling he's got it he's ready well then give him a chance so we'll find out soon enough but i i do think it's possible and if it's not now i how much we'll see of any of these guys this season beyond mitchell is i think a real question because this is this is the kind of crunch that you'd expect oh at some point in the season there's going to be a real lack of outfield depth and you're going to have questions, concerns. Yeah, it's now. It's going to, it's just, it happens to be to start the season. Like they could 
have Tyrone Taylor healthy. Yelly could be having a good season. Mitchell could still be going well. Uh, Jesse Winker could be playing well and having very occasional games in the outfield. And there may not be another opportunity where it's as obvious for, like, let's see what the young guys have got this season. It might just be that the best opportunity to do that is the start of the season. So we'll see. But I, I'm going, Weimer, not with great confidence. But I, I do think there is a case to be made on reading the tea leaves and honestly on some of the logic of what can force the Brewers' hands here. That I'm saying there's a chance, Andrew. That's what I'm saying. I would love it. Uh, I'd love to be a fly in the wall on these conversations where where Craig is involved too, because. Mm-hmm. From his perspective, I I imagine he's always just pushing for what makes the most sense, who's the best player, what's the right fit, and having to balance that dance with the front office, knowing how they operate. Obviously, he's very well-versed in dealing with this front office and ownership, and they work together closely. Obviously, David Stearns isn't there anymore, but Matt Arnold's been around. Uh, but would love to just uh, be privy, if that's the right word, to some of these conversations. So there we there we go there we go Adam we've got our uh our in the field players position players that's what they're called um moving on to the starting rotation I think this one maybe with with one one point of contention or one point of debate is pretty secure Corbin Burns Brandon Woodruff Freddie Peralta Eric Lauer Wade Matt, Miley you think there's any um debate for Hauser versus Miley there or are you pretty secure on those five that I've listed. I mean, maybe we see some flux as the season goes on, but I, I think Wade Miley is going to start as a starter. As do I, which brings us to the bullpen. Devin Williams, Matt Bush, the aforementioned Adrian Hauser, uh, Hobie Milner and Peter Streslecki, I think they're locks as well. Javi Guerra, uh, which brings us, in my mind, to two spots for three players. Uh, Bryce Wilson, Gus Varlin, Joel Piamps, the guys... Uh, without options. Hobie Miller and Peter Shazlecki have options, but with their performance and uh, Hobie, especially being the only left-hander in this bullpen, uh, I, I would say him and Shazlecki have secured spots. Uh, and Shazlecki in particular, Hobie already did factor into these conversations, but I think Shazlecki will be counted on to be a high-leverage arm and a guy that can come in in the seventh or even the eighth inning and and, and get you big outs. And I think he'll need to be. Um, Honestly, I think even the ninth on occasions, maybe we can talk, it's not necessarily a decision to be made, but I, I do think something that the Brewers are banking on, they may find they can't bank on it for very long. Um, and that could transform, say, what someone like Strzelecki is asked to do in the kind of high leverage spots. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the debate here really does come down to, and unless there's someone else I'm miss- missing, I don't think I, there is uh, with um, the, some of the guys that have been optioned down uh, to either Nashville or elsewhere in minor league camp. Obviously, we mentioned Adner Uribe last week, uh, Cam Robinson, Jake Cousins, Elvis Paguero, guys that will probably get innings this year, but probably won't st- uh, be on the roster on opening day. Uh I think Bryce Wilson's going to make this team as a multi multi inning reliever and uh, a guy that can also start in a pinch. I think the Brewers are going to value that flexibility and having guys that can come into the rotation if there are injuries. That will apply to a guy that I think 
will start the season in Nashville as well. And Tyson Miller, who's had a really good spring, if I'm remembering that correctly. Um, so I don't think Miller will start the season um, with the Brewers because he does have options. I think he will begin the year in Nashville and be a guy that we could see either in the rotation and a spot start or um, in the bullpen. And so obviously that applies to Wilson as well, but because he doesn't have those options, um, I think he'll make the roster and they'll give him a shot before, uh, you know, completely uh, bailing on that project. And then, so it comes down to, to Piamps and Varland and Varland was the rule five pick, obviously. So if he is uh, not rostered, then they would have to offer him back to the Dodgers. And I'm going to choose Varlin over Piamps. So what you're going with there is Piamps track record, track record of being a competent major league baseball reliever and Varlin's stuff. And if the change arm slot will turn him into an electric arm that um, can eventually be a high leverage guy. I think they're going to go with Varlin uh, because, because uh, Matt Arnold has shown he likes that tantalizing uh, stuff. Uh, I really think it's a coin flip there and could easily see this being pie amps. But for now, my uh, final bullpen outlook is Devin Williams, Matt Bush, Hobie Wilner, Peter Strzecki, uh Javi Guerra, Bryce Wilson, Adrian Hauser, Gus Varland. I thought we were going to disagree on this, but we don't. Um, we're, we're in agreement. I'd go Varland too. It is a very much a coin flip. It is a toss up at that part. And maybe this speaks to some of the concerns I think that we'll have over the Brewers bullpen. And it's something we talked about, I guess quite a while ago now, a few months ago as the idea of what it might look like was taking shape. But I feel like there's been so many position battles at other spots that the focus has kind of been taken away. The Brewers season could end up hinging on this bullpen and this bullpen has a lot to prove. Like if it ends up being a really, really strong pen, it's, that's kind of not based on a whole lot of history. Um, you're needing to really have found some gems to have worked with them and worked your your voodoo magic um, and built some top-end relievers rather than have picked up guys that obviously fit that bill. Uh, my concern, which I alluded to a couple of minutes ago, is Matt Bush. Matt Bush has been absolutely terrible in spring training. And Council has spoken about, you know, it'd be really nice if he just had, like, one good game. That would certainly be good. Uh, and I am in agreement on that. That would be a good idea to at least have one completely non-catastrophic outing uh, before the season comes around. I believe in three games played, he's given up five earned runs, uh, three homers, two walks. Just fantastic stuff that is that's uh not at all concerning for someone who uh promises to be one of the most high leverage relievers on the team and we saw last year when he's good he is really good and when he's bad he is really bad so whether we're gonna have a roller coaster like that and we're gonna have to go through a lot of pain i guess that factors into all these decisions down the way and it's like if varland is the answer and varland stuff can really work Let's take that bet because you might need to create something here that isn't necessarily obvious at this point as the season progresses if you're going to be as good as you're going to need to be to make the postseason. I think uh, the fact of the matter is my expectation 
for this bullpen this year is it's going to be uh, very fluid. And a lot of the guys, or at least a few of the guys that we're penciling in here right now, might not last the full season and not just because of injury. Um, I did want to comment Tyson Miller, who I did mention, one of the few guys in this conversation that is actually having that dynamite spring. I finally pulled the numbers. Eight innings pitched, hasn't allowed an earned run, 11 strikeouts. Uh, Varlin's allowed four earned runs in six and a third innings, um, but has struck out 12. Uh, as you mentioned, Matt Bush, a 19.29 ERA in two, two and a thirds innings. So um, there you go. Just some numbers to go along with uh, what you described there. Uh, Joel Piamps, 10.38 ERA in four and a third innings, five earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. Uh, so I'm going with uh, Gus Farland's stuff over Piamps' track record. Uh, another guy we might see later in the season, JC Mejia. Um, obviously Robert Stock was option a few weeks ago. So, uh, the bullpen conversation is either something we're going to be having a conversation about midseason where we're pleasantly surprised by some guys who have really stepped up, or this might be a lingering concern, uh, that keeps us up at night, Adam, if the Brewers are blowing a lot of close games, um, which is not what you want. So to break it down, I'm, I'll just outlay our final opening day roster predictions in the starting rotation, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer, Wade Miley. In the bullpen, Devin Williams, Matt Bush, Hobie Milner, Peter Streslecki, Javi Guerra, Bryce Wilson, Adrian Hauser, Gus Farland. At catcher, William Contreras and Victor Caratini. First base, Rowdy Telez, Luke Voigt. Second base, Luis Arias. Shortstop, Willie Adamas. Third base, Brian Anderson, uh, Mike Brasso. In the outfield, Christian Yelich, Garrett Mitchell, Tyler Naquin. DH, Jesse Winker. Utility, Owen Miller. Owen Miller. Obviously, Brian Anderson and Mike Brasso can fit into that utility conversation as well. But that is my 26-man roster. And I think, Adam, your only change was Joey Weimer for Tyler Naquin? Yeah. I think that was the only place we, we differed in, Jen. Yeah, I, you know, I delayed and delayed and delayed the opening day roster predictions to the point where we did not have a lot of areas <laughs> where uh, things weren't fully secure. One thing I'm not going to do is make you predict the opening day lineup. I won't do that to you, Adam. Uh, I think uh, we've come to close to the end of the road. Is there anything, any other news and notes or, or points of discussion that we've missed that you can think of? I'm just trying to think if, is it difficult to predict the opening day lineup? I don't think uh, it is. Well, I just meant like one through nine batting order. That that might be. Oh, like, okay. Well, yeah. the, we, we could probably have a pretty good go of that all the same too. Um no, there's nothing else. I'm just, I'm just looking forward to meaningful Brewers games. Um, spring training has been very much up and down. It feels like that is spring training by nature, and maybe even more so in a World Baseball Classic year. So, I at this point in my baseball fandom, I don't know if I really know how much stock to put into any of it anyway. Um, but I'm choosing to put as close to zero as possible. Much like Craig Council, guys who've been absolutely terrible, I would like to see them have one good game. Um, but yeah, I just I'm excited for the real stuff to get here, and hopefully, the Brewers get up and running in style in Chicago. That would be nice. That would be nice. Uh, 
at this point, it looks like it's going to be a, a, a pretty chilly opening day for me at Wrigley. Uh, I, I, I haven't advanced uh, the weather calendar refresh to, to Saturday just yet. I'm putting that off, Adam. I don't want to know. Uh, but then, you know, you and I will go I, I to looked, AmFam. I looked. Mid-pod, I looked. So I won't, I won't say anything. Okay. Um, I think I did actually look. But uh, we'll be at AmFam for opening day or the home opener on that Monday. You and I are also going to get ourselves a tour of the stadium, uh, unless there are wanted photos of us uh, for some I of our front office comments. Yeah, maybe we say no more so we don't give advance warning would have been my approach. Hey, we love the Brewers, Adam. Don't we, don't we, folks? Don't we love the Brewers? We sure do. Um, and then, you know, all kinds of Bucks and Brewers and all that good stuff. We've uh, It's going to be a great time. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for the season to get going. All right. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. It's Cruising for a Bruising. You're going to want to listen the next couple of weeks, not just as the Brewers get their season up and running, but as Andrew and I sample the wares of Milwaukee baseball in person for the first time. That's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, of course, should be on top of all the rest of the GSPM pods, too. Yours, that podcast network feed, the main feed has all things books. Eurostep and winning six. Most recently, forces combining Roman Cotty, Jordan Tresky, channeling up with Bobby Portis the other day. So if you haven't heard that yet, get over to the Eurostep Podcast Network main feed. Talking to Tundra, Neil Mack and Jordan have all things Green Bay Packers covered. And of course, if you're looking for a spot to listen to all of these podcasts, to listen to Cruising for Bruising, to chat it up with us, to give your thoughts about what the Brewers' opening day roster should look like. If you want to give us the batting order for opening day, I'm sure some sickos will, Andrew. You're welcome to. Of course, you can get in touch. You can be chopping it up on our Discord on that, but you can also go to Repod. Join Repod.com for such cruising for bruising. That will take you to our room on Repod. Repod is like a social media platform for podcasts, essentially. You can follow all of your favorite pods. You can listen to them there. They have a great app, great player. And you can go into any given episode or into our Cruising for a Bruising room and post and talk with other listeners to your favorite podcasts. And in our case, if you want to ask questions of us, the hosts, you can do so in there. So join repod.com forward slash Cruising for a Bruising. Make sure you jump in there. I think that does it for now. Until next time, thanks again to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.